Escape from Plan A. From Plan A, uh, this is Teen. Uh, got a special guest with me, so I f- figure we'll just get into it. I've got Ben Sin, Ben on the on the line all the way from Hong Kong. How's it going, man? Hi, Teen. Thanks for having me. I'm good. Hope you're well too. I am. Uh, sorry about last time. I know we had scheduled it, and I kind of totally forgot that Hong Kong is actually ahead of the U.S. in terms of time, so I totally missed it. But glad uh, you could jump on. And Ben, I've been following you on Twitter for a while. Can you just Intro yourself a little bit for the people. Let them know who you are, what you do, etc. Okay, so um, I'm a tech reviewer, tech journalist reviewer. I started out just writing tech reviews for Forbes Asia, but I branched out into making YouTube videos about a couple of years ago. So now I'm I mostly review tech for my YouTube channel, and I also started a recent job at XD8 Developers, which is a U.S. tech site. So basically a tech journalist in written and video form. Yeah, like a lot of um, personal tech, things like that, and like um, smartphone devices, laptops, et cetera, right? That's what I've seen on yeah, your Twitter. Yeah mostly, con- mm-hmm. yeah, mostly consumer tech, and which has been kind of dominant by smartphones lately because there's so many of them. So it's just a little bit more to cover when it comes to smartphones than, say, like headphones. Right, right. Uh, your Twitter, I, I follow you on Twitter a lot just because I think you um, you're, you said you were uh, born and sort of educated in Hong Kong up until around age nine and then came over to the United States uh, for, for quite a bit. And so yeah. like you're Chinese American uh, to a large extent and you have a view, you, you, you tweet certain, you tweet about a lot of things. I mean, obviously, you tweet about tech, but you also tweet about what was going on in Hong Kong, which was huge news uh, for a long time, uh, including here in the United States. And you tweet about sort of ongoing, um, you know, the, the sort of escalation in U.S.-China tensions and relations and other things that I just find uh, you have a very interesting viewpoint. So I was like, oh, it's probably overdue that I try and reach out and talk to you. Um, just get a sense of like, you know, kind of what you're seeing, what you're thinking. Uh, so with that, I guess, um, what's, what, what, what's been on your mind lately as you see, like, you know, say with the start of the trade war, the escalation, the, what happened in Hong Kong, just sort of like the general tension of what's going on and how does that affect what you're doing as, you know, a tech reporter, or tech journalist that's based uh, in Hong Kong, very close to Southern China and being sort of in the fulcrum of like two very different points of view. Like that's a huge question. I know very open-ended, but uh, I don't know if you have something to to say about that, but I'm I'm super curious. Um, So I guess I'll answer this on, on two levels, like personal and professional on a personal level. I, I'm very uncomfortable with the growing anti-Chinese sentiments that's pushed mainly by the U.S., but I guess the, the 
other countries in the West help push it. And I understand that China, the Chinese government, you know, sometimes they can be um, a little bit bullish, I guess. So, so, so they deserve flack, definitely. But I think for the most part, the U.S. government has been on a smear campaign to paint everything China is like bad and shady and evil. It's like the new yellow pearl, and I'm worried about that as a Chinese American. That, of course, COVID didn't help. So now I'm concerned if I'm traveling, say in Paris next year, or in Texas, am I gonna face real racism or even violent crimes because I'm Chinese? And there's just the U.S. government's basically every day pushing out a new. New thing about how ooh, China is evil. China is our biggest enemy, the biggest threat to, to us as as humans. So that's on a personal level, and on a tech level, the the ongoing trade war it's definitely affecting me because, for example, I review smartphones, and Huawei smartphones have been some of the best over the past couple of years. In fact, around two thousand eighteen, I felt like Huawei phones were better than. Samsung and Apple phones—they were the best on the market around 2018. But then, the Trump administration has been、um, putting sanctions on Huawei. So first, by cutting off its Google、um, partnership with Google, and now its chip supply. So now Huawei has effectively been crippled as a smartphone brand. They're still putting out products, but it's very hard for anyone outside of China to use because you can't get on Google stuff like YouTube. So. That's been frustrating for me as both a personal techie because I want to be able to use the best phone possible, and I feel like it's been crippled, and also as a reviewer because now when I say rank the best phones of the year,、um, I might say the Samsung Galaxy Note twenty is the best Android phone this year, but in the back of my mind, I'll know that that's only because its biggest challenger has been crippled. If not for that, the Huawei Mate Forty Pro might be a better device than the Samsung Galaxy Note Twenty Ultra. So that annoys me in a couple of ways, and also I might be moving back to the U.S. next year because my partner wants to、um, go be closer to her parents. And normally, a couple of years ago, I would I would still be able to do my work in the U.S. without any issues, but now I'm concerned with the increasing U.S. tensions. Maybe Chinese brands won't want to work with U.S.-based media anymore, or maybe, maybe you know, Trump, the U.S. government might, might do something crazy like you straight up cannot receive electronic packages from China. Then maybe I'll stop being able to review personal tech, because right now in Hong Kong they send everything to me, so I get all the latest stuff to test. But that might be in danger if I'm living in California next year. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. I mean, in a certain way, it's like kind of unthinkable that because I mean, the the supply chain, the tech supply chain, is like so dependent on there being some sort of like open flow、um, of commerce、yeah. between the U.S. and China.、Uh, but and I was I was actually really surprised and shocked to see not only that Trump, who is kind of a rogue, you know, he's he's a bit of a rogue president, that he would. Launch the trade war and try and、uh, you know actually achieve what is probably impossible, which is this sort of like firewall between the U.S. and China in terms of of、uh, of the supply chain. But to see then there to be bipartisan support for it, 
that Biden, for example, is like, no, we're not going to lift any sanctions immediately. We're going to hold them in place and uh, or, or, or um, you know, tariffs and stuff. And it seems like Biden is not necessarily going to do a hard shift away from Trump's uh, antagonism against China on this front. It, it seems like they're trying to do the impossible. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm curious, like for someone that's a tech insider, do you see this being actually like something that's realistic? Can this actually be done? Or is it going to be, you know, if we try, the U.S. really tries to put a firewall there, a hard break or a hard gap between the U.S. and China, like that will kind of crater. I mean, is that really going to hurt Apple? Like when, here's here's a question is like, isn't this putting Apple like in a in a major risk because like can't can't China just like cripple Apple's supply chain as in retaliation or am I not understanding something here? I, I think China can, but I don't think they will because um, because Apple is still highly popular in in China itself. I think it would it would hurt a lot of Chinese citizens too if if China just straight up said Apple products are not allowed to be sold in China anymore. And also, I, th- I think there are now factories emerging in India and Vietnam that might be able to to do what Chinese factories do. So if that's the case, then, then Apple may have been out in terms of we're shifting all our production to Vietnam and India. So we don't have to rely on China anymore because the U.S. government is obviously constantly um, making it seem like it's evil if you work with Chinese companies. If that were the case, it just it seemed crazy because like I was in southern China last year and I went to Shenzhen for the first time. Yeah, sure. And that was like the first time I saw like um, like when people say Shenzhen is sort of the workshop of the world. Like, I don't know. I still think Americans really hold on to this idea that, you know, Apple invented the smartphone. It's U.S. technology that really like the U S is the brains behind this. And China is just like these factories full of like sad, broken people that are just told what to do. And they're basically slave laborers, laborers. And that's not what it is at all. Like Sinsen was to me, like that's just where the technology is now. And yeah, I guess I feel, mm-hmm. Sorry, no, continue. I did cut you off, sorry. Well, well, I guess I, I just felt as an American like a bit of anxiety about it because I was like, you know, if we're really serious about doing this, I think it's actually the U.S. that's going to be isolating itself, not the other way around. You know, based on what I was seeing there with my own eyes. I was like, I don't know if we necessarily should be cutting ourselves off from this because I don't think we, I mean, I don't see anything approaching what I saw in Sinsen within the U.S. So... Who is really sanctioning whom? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think the American public who are into gadgets are going to lose big time if the U.S. government continues to push for this war or build up a firewall. I think, I think, like you said, most average Americans are not aware of how much awesome tech comes out of China. Like They probably still think of Chinese tech as cheap and imitation when, like I said earlier... Huawei smartphones were better than the iPhone and Samsung's phones in 2018. All the latest trends that Apple and Samsung have put into their recent phones using a larger image sensor, Samsung using a periscope zoom lens to allow better zoom. These were tech 
done by Huawei first. And for for smartphone fans in the U.S., they know that the U.S. market has been severely neutered and limited. In the U.S., if you want a powerful smartphone, you really only have two options: Apple or Samsung. If you are outside the U.S., if you're in London, if you're in in Hong Kong, in China, you have like <clears throat> sorry about that. I have a little bit of allergies. You have like eight options if you want a really powerful smartphone. So as a tech geek. Who are into smartphones? If you live in the U.S., you're already losing out in terms of your options. You have to pay more for for a budget offering. So there's that, and also outside the smartphone space, there's so many industries that are completely dominant by Chinese tech right now. Like for example, drones. Like DJI's drones are just way better than anyone else, and even camera gimbals. Like every camera YouTuber, they use a gimbal to film the stuff. And all the best gimbals are from DJI or Xi'an or Feiyu. They're all based in Shenzhen. There is no American gimbal company or British or Japanese gimbal company that can come close to that. Like three sixty camera, same thing. The best three sixty camera makers are all in China. So the average consumers they don't know what they're gonna miss out on if the U.S. actually say, for example, cut off Chinese products and supplies chains. You're gonna be stuck with mediocre 360 cameras,、uh, VR headsets,、um, everything like dash cams, all that stuff. Like the average American、yeah. consumer just think, "Oh, I use an iPhone, so I'm safe from Chinese tech. I don't need to rely on Chinese tech." But you know, the 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 freaking router to their tripod that they put the camera to their selfie stick to 360 cameras to their action cameras are probably all from China. Yeah, when I was in、um, Guangzhou, I have a friend who、uh, I think she works at like a tech incubator in Dongguan or something, and so she had access to a lot of cool toys. So I played with the at that at that time the relatively new DJI Mini Drone,、mm-hmm. and this thing was I've never seen this before, but like it basically took your smartphone and clipped it into、uh, a controller. I, I, I don't know how to call it, but it's sort of like a It's sort of like an add-on to your phone, and it turns your phone into something that kind of feels like an Xbox controller, and、yeah. your entire phone display becomes the video feed out of the camel out of the camera on the DJI. And so we're flying this thing, and I'm like, "This is like military tech, man. This is stuff like you would see in like like a James Bond movie, like the、yeah. kind of control and the quality of the video feed that I was getting, and the way it clipped onto my phone, and just how easy it was to control." Uh, was mind blowing. I was like, wow. And she was telling me, she was like, yeah. I mean, this is this place is like the real Silicon Valley in the sense that they're still doing hardware innovations and like tangible technologies. Whereas in Silicon Valley, it's more like, you know, you know, Uber and 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 stuff that's like disrupting, you know,、yeah. it's like or or some sort of delivery service or something or WeWork. Like, it's not really dealing with the sort of like hard tech stuff that you're seeing in China.、And、I was just really. It was very eye-opening. Let's say I was like, "Wow, this—it's happening here, not at home," you know. And、uh, the other thing that you—this co- is—I、uh, guess we're going down more tech route, and I'm, I'm kind of interested in this. You've covered—you've been covering a lot of, of gadgets that we don't—I I don't think we really have them here in the U.S. yet, or they're not widespread. Is are these full, are these new form factors like the like the foldable screens? 
And you've been playing yeah. around with stuff like there's a new Lenovo. It's sort of like a crossover tablet keyboard or tablet laptop thing. There's a bunch of different folding concepts for phones and stuff. And uh, all that is probably, I'm guessing there's a lot more variety to that in Hong Kong than, than I, I'm not seeing it really anywhere in the U.S. yet. Is that actually being like, you know, deployed? Like do people are get, really getting into the folding stuff? Um, it's not mainstream yet, but it will be, especially in 2021 when several Chinese brands like Oppo and Xiaomi will also be releasing foldable phones. But basically, if you are into smartphones as a gadget, like if you if you're if you're like a fan of smartphones in terms of all the latest stuff, all the all the fun stuff has been Chinese brands for a while now. Like the iPhone still works very well, but it's like the safe, boring option. Whatever folding devices that we see now, it will eventually Apple will do it in like 2024, and I'm pretty sure they'll do it well. But the reality is, if you're in the US, you have to wait two, three years. Like everything in terms of smartphone tech, Chinese brands have been doing it years before Apple and Samsung. Like the, the fingerprint scanner that's built under the screen that Samsung uses now, Vivo is doing that like a full year before that. Just like the zoom camera that Samsung uses now, the one that can get up to 50x zoom, Huawei did that a whole year before. So basically, if you're into smartphones and you live in the US and, and you don't import stuff from China, you're getting stuff that's like two years behind everybody else. Right. And 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 um and we'll probably pay a little bit more for it than we should, right? If it's Apple, yeah. there'll be markups on it that other people aren't paying. It's interesting because like uh, you know, I think with tech like um <coughs> It, you know, we still re retain this belief, I think, in the U.S. that the smartphone is a an American invention, and again, like I said, like China just makes this stuff. That's it. They're they're just kind of they don't really know what they're doing other than like slavishly building this stuff. But we hold the IP, we hold the concepts and the intelligence to actually make this stuff. But I think that's actually changing now with Apple. Like the heads, the the fact that. Chinese phones and, and and other Asian phones are like better. I think we're starting to accept that as given. And now I think the attitude is a little bit more like Apple is, it just picks the best technologies available and sort of like, you know, sort of curates the experience for Americans. So we may not have access to everything, but we will get the best of it and only after it's like totally mature and ready for market. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of maybe like the like late eighties through nineties when consumer technology or consumer electronics, it had, a, there was a similar thing going on um, because we kind of knew like all the best stuff was being made in Japan or Taiwan. And yeah. The U.S., you know, we would only get the stuff that was, quote, deemed good enough for export. And so the idea was that, um, okay, there's a lot of innovation going on overseas, but only the best stuff will find its way to the U.S. But now looking back, I think that's not, that wasn't really what was happening. Like, we sometimes got the stuff that was easiest to sell, but we didn't necessarily get what was best. And there's a lot of stuff on YouTube now that I look where, like, retro tech 
channels and stuff where they <coughs> go and actually yeah. look at retro tech in Japan. I'm like, whoa, none of this cool stuff made it over to the US at all. Like we were only, in retrospect, only getting like 5% of the action. There was so much cool stuff going on in Japan that we just totally didn't know about. And it sounds like that's going to be happening a little bit again, uh, you know, this time around in this tech boom with respect to with respect to China and the rest of Asia, you know. Yeah. Um, see, 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 a big difference is now it's there's the Internet. So say when there's a crazy foldable phone in from a Chinese brand, even though it's not on sale in America, the average American may still be aware of it if, if they follow tech news. So that may, may um, so that's interesting because then that results right. in, in, I guess, U.S. media needing to give some spin. Like, like meaning, like The Verge, for example, The Verge is probably the biggest, most respected tech site. I, I like their work like 80% of the time. But they have a bias against Chinese smartphones. Like, if you can look this up yourself, if for for listeners who don't believe me, look it up yourself. When they review an iPhone or Samsung phone, they will write thousands of words, have a whole video. When it comes to a Xiaomi phone, they'll just do a short little hands-on. That's like like one third of the length. They don't really go into details about any features, and that's it. They don't have any follow-up content after that. No video, nothing. So I think that's kind of a way that, that they, they do to kind of still push the narrative that that like the U.S. is not completely missing out on the best and latest tech because because they they do so by simply giving unfavorable coverage. Yeah, no, I get that feeling, too. And it's uh, it's kind of dismissive. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah. yeah, you probably wouldn't be interested in this stuff anyway. Yeah, it's probably pretty good, but it's not really like ready for the big leagues yet, which we assume is, yeah, so, is America. Yeah. Right? yeah. So like while in the 80s, you know, Japan got way more cool stuff than America, at least the average American won't know about it because there's no internet for them to see. They have to really <laughs> right, travel right, to Japan yeah. to see that. But now it is out there. So then now the media needs to give a spin. So one of the things... For example, I like to do is like the iPhone camera only got good in low light situation this year or last year. Before that, around 2017, you can take like a $400 Xiaomi phone, turn off all the lights in the room and take a picture with it next to that year's newest iPhone that costs $1,000. And the Xiaomi picture will be brighter, better lit, more details, sharper. So I will post these on Twitter and people would just be in disbelief. Um, and Americans would just refuse to believe it. They think I'm like faking or doctoring the picture. And I'm like, no, these right. are real photos that I've shot. It's just that US media won't cover this. Like if you read CNET they, back in 2018, they're not going to say the iPhone camera is good, but there are some Chinese brands that are much better than low light performance. They just straight up don't acknowledge that. And, and yeah, so that's unfortunate. But but you know, Apple is caught up now. So finally, now the iPhone 12's camera is as good as everything else out there. But two years ago, the iPhone XS's camera was below par compared to even five hundred dollar Chinese phones. Yeah, I remember the iPhone 10 was really late to the OLED party too, right? Like other yeah, like other several other years several years late, and then. Um, 
it was treated by the media as like I guess the I guess the term online now is copium. It's like this way of the spin that you're talking about. I've heard it expressed online as copium, which is this in, this sort of like media U.S. media sort of re, like tendency to spin stories so that like it 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 always sort of you know uh, uh, preferences. Uh, the U.S. in some way, be it, it as expressed through, say, Apple, right? That Apple yeah. is still somehow the best, even though it's late to the game. And they'll say stuff like, oh, yeah, well, the OLED technology, while it was first to appear in like other phones like Samsung or something, it wasn't really ready for, it wasn't really up to the standards of what Apple wanted to do or whatever. But then the iPhone yeah. X comes out, and they were still trying to push the story, but two things. One is it had this huge notch, right that everyone's familiar yeah. with that somehow became like a trademark of apple but at the time uh the engineering was trying to, it's like how do we do it without the notch so that we can get the full no bezel effect and the number two is and this is the thing that very few um media reports about the iphone 10 were saying is that the screen was actually a samsung screen the oled screen was you know like apple doesn't make as far as i know they don't actually manufacture screens and so the iPhone yeah. 10 OLED was just stuff that they were getting from Samsung. And apparently they were getting the sort of like not as good stuff as Samsung was using for their in-house, for the Galaxy. And then with the iPhone 12, I still think to this day, I think iPhone 12, they didn't they like switch to a Chinese OLED manufacturer? But it's not uh, like... I'm not sure about that, about the switch to a Chinese manufacturer. But I know... They definitely started by using uh, Samsung's OLED panels. Yeah, and so like the spin on that was just really strange to me because they were just like touting this, uh, you know, sort of new. Um, it was almost like a Star Trek communicator device. They they were reporting sort of rather breathlessly about the iPhone X. Uh, and I at the time, and actually the funny thing, I still use my Samsung S8 Plus because it's um, perfectly fine for my needs. But I had bought the S8 Plus. Side by side, it was just a much more attractive and better phone than the iPhone 10. But the iPhone 10 was treated as, um, as sort of like this miracle phone, uh, and it, I guess that dynamic still happens now, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, to Apple's credit, the iPhone 10 did introduce several things that that were quite clever. I think face unlock. You know, you know, it results in a notch, but I think the idea behind it is very useful. Maybe not anymore because we might be wearing masks for the foreseeable future. But before we start wearing masks, being able to unlock something just by looking at it was pretty damn cool that Apple um, kind of thought of. And also the swipe gesture navigation, meaning you swipe to exit an app instead of pressing a, a button. That's pretty clever too that Apple designers thought of that um, Android designers didn't really think of that. I mean, there were Android phones with swipe gestures, but they were not as intuitive. So I'll give Apple that. But but you're right. The S8 Plus is a better looking phone than the iPhone X. It, it has more uniform design, uh, symmetrical design. What about do you do you do you look into the guts a lot? Because now the big story seems to be like this M1 chip, and that Apple. You know, even if on the screen front, on the on the on the screen and the um, other parts, they're not as um, advanced as some of the Asian brands and the Chinese brands. They, you know, the U.S. still and, and as embodied by Apple, still has 
a huge leg up on the silicon. And apparently the M1 is like uh, basically like a supercomputer on a chip. And it's blowing yeah. away even like desktop PCs in certain respects. And they're saying that, you know, the Chinese manufacturers, they may be able to make really good hardware, but the, but the integration with software and the sort of heart, the, the silicon is simply, it just can't compete. And I guess that's what they're trying to do is to try and starve Huawei and others of access to the best silicon. Uh, is that a real thing that's going on? That as, as good as Chinese tech can be as can get, they're not there when it comes to um, you know the actual chipset. Um, yeah, I agree. The M1 chip is pretty damn legit, and in terms of silicon, Apple has been ahead of the game in terms of, you know, they, they pushed out a five nanometer chip this year before before Samsung was able to. Samsung's not gonna have a five nanometer chip until 2021. But here's the thing, Huawei has been getting close to catching up. So Huawei also released a five nanometer chip this year, um, the Kirin 9000. So in the last couple of years, Apple and Huawei have been almost neck and neck in terms of silicon technology. like. Um, Apple and Huawei were also the first two to pump out a 7 nanometer chip. Um, for listeners who may not be aware, in silicon, the smaller the nanometer, the better. So 5 nanometers is better than 7, 7 is better than 10. So Apple and Huawei were the first two to do 7, and they're the first two to do 5. But now that, now that the U.S. government has sanctioned Huawei and basically maybe effectively killed this uh, chip-making business, so now the Huawei has been eliminated. So that means the next breakthrough will solely be Apple. So in two years from now, Apple will probably be the first one to have three nanometer and nobody else will be close because Huawei has been knocked off. So I so to answer your question, the US is still the leader in Silicon, but that's because the US government's also actively crippling potential competitors. Now I understand there are some charges against Huawei and the U.S. Uh, Chinese government that that may justify the ban. And, and, you know, whether or not people believe in that, it's up to them. But I think if, if you ignore, you know, those claims and focus on the technology, Huawei was increasingly neck and neck with Apple and Silicon, but probably not anymore because of the recent sanctions. Yeah, and then what about what about like the software level? Because like Huawei also is getting uh, crippled in terms of not having access to like certain Google uh, certain Google software, like the I guess the proprietary uh, side of Android. Uh, yeah. And so does the, I, I? I gather the U.S. still leads in terms of software, right? Like that's also another may, maybe the biggest part of the you know of the phone of the smartphone. Um, is there like some, you know, push to develop like an operating system, like within Huawei itself that, that doesn't even rely on, on Google software or, or, or open source Android? Oh yeah. Huawei is definitely working on that now, but, um, unfortunately I don't know if they'll ever succeed in, in gaining foothold worldwide because, because one us software were, has, have traditionally been better. And, uh, and second, um, the, the U.S. software have already have too much of a head start. Like there's way too many people using Google for now for, 
for a suitable alternative to come up. So what's going to happen, it's unfortunate, is that Huawei will probably eventually build its own software and have its own alternative to Google and all that. And China will adopt it. And countries that are aligned with China, like certain, I don't know, I'm not sure which countries are aligned with China, but I'm guessing like Russia and stuff will may be open to it. But places like the U.S., Canada, Australia, England will never, you know, accept it. So then there'll be this split in global software. Whereas, you know, the whole point of technology getting better is supposed to unite the world to connect us. But if anything, right. because of the U.S.-China beef, it might now further divide. In five years, maybe, maybe like, you know, you travel to Vietnam or Russia with your American phone running Google and stuff. It might not work as well because everyone there is using Huawei proprietary software. And likewise, if you're coming over yeah. to the U.S. or going to, to Paris from China, maybe your phone won't work now because of all that, you know, bans and sanctions. That, you know what that reminds me a little bit of like when I was in Berlin, you can go to like East Berlin or what was formerly East Berlin. And there's these museums that sort of show you what like, you know, normal, like, you know, an average person's life in East Germany was like behind the Iron Curtain before, you know, 91 or so. And they had like all the same tech that we did in a way, but like different form factors it was all different. Like they had phones, but the phones were not like the ones we had. They even had computers and PCs, but they were like not like the ones we had. Usually inferior, but I don't want to say inferior or better, but um, very different. Uh, point being that like that seemed to be like one like one effect of the Cold War was that there was like these separate um, lines of technology that define like if you lived, you know quote behind the iron curtain like you would have you would you, you know you would there were certain cars you would drive there would be certain phones you would use there would be certain technologies that we would use and if you lived in the west it would be completely different and when you're saying that it kind of brings that to mind like we're heading towards this sort of like bifurcated tech world or something yeah it's really unfortunate and yeah yeah so <laughs> It's like it'll be like region, it'll be like region locked, region locked. Like back then, you know how when you buy, if you yeah, buy yeah. video games from Japan, they won't work in your U.S. PlayStation. It might be like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they'll just have their own gaming consoles that don't like we don't even know what they are. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like the. So I don't know. That's crazy. But um, you, do you so to the extent that like you do tweet about politics and stuff which is man sometimes you tweet a lot about tech and then sometimes you tweet a lot about politics uh we've been talking a lot yeah, about tech but about politics like do you feel uh, it's almost the new year um tomorrow's the new year's eve uh or it's new year's eve for you already uh do you feel hopeful about 2021 and beyond or do you kind of only see dark clouds ahead in terms of you know uh, in terms of this uh, conflict? Um, I don't see it getting better because as you mentioned, Joe Biden is, he's not as unhinged as Donald Trump, but he is still pretty much a a sinophobic kind of, you know, like America, America this, America that kind of war. 
I mean, I guess every U.S. president is. So it is, unfortunately, probably going to stay the same. So people shouldn't get too excited about 2021 solving all their problems just because the because the ball drops. I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. But but the thing is, like 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 I mentioned, this only hurts. Like you know, unless things escalate to even more. Like as of right now, this thing only hurts like smartphone enthusiasts. So people like me, if you're like an average consumer, if you're an average dude and living in the U.S., you use an iPhone, so it doesn't really bother you. But the DJI ban might might start hurting American consumers because you know people like using DJI drones, and DJI doesn't just make drones; they make the best pocket action camera. So imagine if you're a cinematographer in LA who loves to use a DJI gimbal, and you might not be able to buy the next one. So stuff like that, it, it might actually start hurting consumers. But for the most part, you know, American consumers have been unaffected because they've been they don't know like. You know, they're happy with the iPhones. I think it gets worse. I mean, I think, though, it will get worse over time because from what I've seen with my, you know, having gone to since then, if I feel like there's just more of a competitive pressure in China in terms of innovation. So if, like, we really split apart, like, there's no innovation going on in the U.S. in on the hardware side. Like, I don't think we're, we're you know what I mean? Like, I don't think the action is with us. I think the action's over there. So I think there's going to be like a tech gap that grows. So to the extent that we've been open and tech in the U.S., you know, we have access to more or less the same tech that you can get in um, in Asia. Like if we keep going down this route, I think we're going to be the East Germany. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't think we're going to have the better stuff. I think we're going to have the worst stuff. So that would be quite unfortunate. And it'd probably just get worse over time. But uh, for the, yeah, for the, for the foreseeable future, will it get better? I don't know. You know what it feels like, man? It feels like, uh, I know this is the tortured chess analogies or go analogies, but I think this is kind of like go in a way, though. I don't, I don't really know how to play go, but like um, Weichi, right? Like, I feel like the U.S. is so used to like imposing sanctions on other countries. Like we could, we'll just impose sanctions on Iran or Venezuela, and just assume like that because they're a smaller country. What we're doing is we're isolating them. We're locking them out from the rest of the world. And when it comes to China. Uh, and we try to do that. I feel like you start to have to ask the question, are we locking China out or are we locking ourselves out? And that's sort of like a go question, right? Like when you put a piece down here, like, am I walling this guy up or am I setting myself to be walled up? Because China is probably too big to just simply isolate that way. Does that make like, am I thinking about that right? I, it, it's easy to impose sanctions on a small country, but if you impose yeah. sanctions on a country that's bigger than you, are you even imposing sanctions on them or are you imposing a sanction on yourself? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just think it's a dangerous game. Uh, you, you, like, what's the way out? Like, is, do you see any way out of this or do you think that we're just like 
you are you are you do you subscribe to that Thucydides trap idea that we're just sort of going to spiral? There's really not much we can do to get out of this, or I don't know. I'm not sure if there's anything way out of this because unfortunately China has not made it easy for themselves. Like like they recently had a conflict with India, so now every most Indians don't like China, so they're gonna side with whatever the U.S. says, and. The whole China Hong Kong situation, you know, even though it's very complicated and gray, the the most of the world don't um don't see that way. They fell for the U.S. propaganda and think that like China is just completely evil and invading Hong Kong when that's not the case here. But whatever the case, the Hong Kong situation and the India situation has turned more people against China. So then now the U.S. has even more leeway. To basically make up any type of BS about China, like like literally, they can say whatever the heck they want, and and people like the average person will just believe it. And be like, oh yeah, China is so like corrupt and dystopian. Wait, are you talking about Hong Kong? You think that that's how it works in Hong Kong? Do most people just sort of take the American point of view on it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of like a.、Uh, I feel like if you ask the average person in Japan or or maybe like London, they'll side with the U.S. view. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Because I, I, <clears throat> because hmm. the because the U.S. propaganda because the U.S. propaganda machine has so many allies. So like Australian news, British news, they will all help perpetuate the the kind of one side of reporting. Because I was on the ground in Hong Kong during the protests. The Hong Kong police were slightly out of line, but definitely nothing compared to what U.S. cops do every freaking day. So the fact that the English、mm-hmm. media makes it seem like Hong Kong cops out here brutalizing people—it's complete BS. Every time cops show up, it would be the Hong Kong kids, the protesters, who would be the aggressors. They would immediately go into like cussing out the whole family, cussing at the mamas, throwing shit at them before cops would shoot maybe tear gas. And after a whole year of protests, nobody in Hong Kong has even died at the hands of police. Like, think about how improbable that was. If there's a protest in the U.S. within a week, a U.S. cop would have killed someone already. So, so the reality is the whole situation here is quite gray. Like, but then everybody believes the U.S. point of view, which is China is sending Hong Kong cops down to crack down on Hong Kong protesters, these helpless kids. When that's not the reality. Hmm. Yeah. The yeah. I mean, Hong Kong was the Hong Kong. The the news about Hong Kong was definitely so twisted in the U.S. But people people in the U.S. by and large, across the spectrum, uh, you know, conservative, liberal, whatever, uh, more or less just accept that, you know, the 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 Chinese government, um, was behind the, was sort of like pushing the like Hong Kong's government is a puppet of the Chinese government, so. When you see the cops, you got to think they're really just you know jackbooted thugs of the Chinese Communist Party, and that the you know this is an example of you know this is Tiananmen Square all over again, blah 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 blah, and I, it's almost like I, there's no point in, in fighting against that narrative、uh, yeah, because but, but like they're not going to believe it. So yeah, but it's unfortunate because because people just don't want to think critically. Like like one of the One of the、um, rumors going around from Hong Kong protesters, and perpetuated by U.S. media, is that Hong Kong cops have killed 
like dozens of Hong Kongers and and like basically disappeared their bodies, whatever that means. But it's like there's absolutely no proof of that. Hong Kong is way too small and way too densely populated for murders to for dozens of murders to take place and no one to notice. Like I think families would have spoken up by now if there's like a dozen Hong Kong people missing, you know, like just wiped off the face of the earth. I think people would know there would be. There'll be mur- even if people, according to the U.S. government, Hong Kong people are afraid to speak out publicly. There will be private murmurs, you know, rumors. I haven't heard any of that. And honestly, if you go watch my Instagram stories or my Twitter stories, people in Hong Kong, by and large, live pretty happy lives. I can step out right now, and everyone's like at a coffee shop taking selfies and pictures of the dogs. It is not like a sad, depressive, oppressed uh, group of young people here. Like you know. Like, like oh how, no, that would be America. that would be uh, the U.S. man. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> like would I said, be, I think I think a lot yeah, of this exactly. stuff is is really. I think a lot of this stuff is projection. I think I think we actually see the the when we say the CCP or whatever, like we don't know anything about the CCP, like for better or for worse. Like we don't know anything about it. It's like a mirror, and we tend to project all our worst shit onto it, and, and to sort of like dissociate ourselves. You know, that's been the pattern. Um, yeah. And it sucks, like you said. I mean, I think it really hurts us as Americans more than anything because it it makes it impossible for us to address these issues directly, right? Because we keep blame pointing the finger at someone else. Uh, yeah. And I think people in power know what they're doing. They they don't want to address issues here at home. They want things to stay the same, uh, like, so, you know, because the system benefits them as it is. Yeah. So, so, so the most the most telling part of of this Hong Kong thing is, if you notice, by and large, most Black Americans refuse to to jump into the U.S. narrative and just side with Hong Kong protesters. Like like when the whole Hong Kong NBA thing happened, NBA players were like, I'm yeah. not saying nothing because Black people know better. They know the U.S. government cannot be trusted. They know the U.S. government has enough blood on their hands to point fingers at any other country. It's only white Americans and unfortunately... Asian Americans that fall for that U.S. propaganda and be like, "Oh yeah, oh, like God, China yeah. is so bad," and, yeah. and we US we're sometimes the worst. Here. Yeah. yeah, like like East Asian Americans, like Japanese Americans, by and large, it's unfortunate how much they have assimilated into whiteness. So yeah. I, it, I think it's it quite really telling is, yeah. that I think it's quite telling that Black people and Indigenous people of America they they're like, I'm not taking part in this Hong Kong shit because. America has enough problems of its own to fix to to before it should start pointing fingers about you know other countries. Yeah, but though the NBA owners, like morally and stuff, like they were more than happy to be you know to 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 take the bait and and yeah. and start weighing in about slavery because they're always white. Yeah, because because they're always white. Yeah. Exactly. Like when you're yeah. white, you come from a place of privilege. Like you you don't yeah. know that the U.S. government is. Pretty much freaking evil. If you if you live in like Cuba, if you live in a brown country in the Middle East, you know the U.S. government is evil. Only if you're white or like like Asian American who's born and raised in the U.S. do you think, oh, the U.S. are the good guys. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I and 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 I I know you got to get going. You've got a lot of stuff on your plate. Because I mean. Uh, this is probably like one of the busier seasons for you, right? Like end of year, Christmas, all this stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. So I gotta let you go pretty soon. 
Yeah, I gotta let you go soon. Yeah. But like, I hope we could actually because like what we're talking about just now is something I was hoping to get a little more into. And it was the first time we've talked, so I really want to talk about tech a bit. Uh, since that's your area of like primary expertise, but like you having been on the ground in Hong Kong and just sort of like the perspective, because like what you just said about um, like who believes in the in the sort of in these narratives and who doesn't is something like I'm super interested in, uh, and so maybe at some point in the future we can um, uh, continue that conversation. I, I, I kind of I feel like it just started getting really interesting for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Apologies for yeah. needing to go today because like. Yeah, have several business meetings, but yeah, definitely we can do this again, man. Yeah, yeah, money never money never sleeps though, man. So uh, go make the bread. All right, man. Um, thanks for hopping all the way from Hong Kong. Uh, that was really uh, really informative, really fun. So I'll talk to you next time, man. Okay, thank you. Take care.